I've given something away every week for the past few weeks, and I have nothing to give away today. So, um, but I hear that Ben Cordercrest is going to be giving away steakhouse gift certificates in Effort Church. So see him, and he'll, be, he'll take care of the giveaways for me today because I apparently don't have one for you. So thank you, Ben, for that. We appreciate that. I think the steakhouse was the, the Golden Arches, wasn't it? That what it was? Yeah. Oh, hey, Melissa could help you right there. She's, she's got that covered, right? Do you get employee discounts there? Says <laughs> steak bagel, okay. Okay, well, anyhow. I was making a joke about the McRib, but we'll leave that alone. We're doing a sermon series about the, uh, called Recharge. And if you've been with us the past few weeks, we're talking about the importance of getting back to full when life leaves you feeling drained. And really what we want to do in this series is is ultimately help us be there for the people and the things that we care about the most, right? Being there for the people and things we care about the most. Now, we can't do that if we're, if we're drained. If our purpose was to be there, for, if, if, if my phone's purpose is to serve me, but it's drained, it can't serve me. And if we're, there for, if we're here for a purpose and we're drained, we can't help anybody else. We can't fulfill our purpose. So we have to recharge. We've been giving you all sorts of practical life hacks. We've talked about how to recharge physically to be optimal and run optimally. We've talked about mentally recharging when you're when you're distracted there and by, by things in life. We've talked about spiritually recharging and plugging back into that, that power source. We've talked about um, relationally recharging and, and um, the importance of interconnectedness with each other. We've talked about recharging for the past few weeks. And we try to give you practical suggestions on how to do that. However, sometimes there's another factor to consider when we think about recharging. We can do all the things we've talked about, but the question we need to ask ourselves is, are, are you draining too quickly? What is, the co- what is the cause? What is causing you to drain so much and so fast? So sometimes you have that with your phone or your device, right? Where you, you're like, man, my phone is just really draining fast. It's just like, what's, what's going on? You can plug it in or your computer, you plug it in and it's barely even charging because it's just running so hot. And then you like when you when you do un, uh, unplug it, it just drains quickly. And what's causing it to drain so fast? There's a lot of reasons why that can be happening. For example, and this is not the point of the sermon, but for example, if I'm using my devices a lot, of course they're going to drain faster, right? Like there are days when I'm so busy that I don't even hardly touch my phone, and I'm like, wow, this battery is still so full in the evening because I've hardly done anything with it, right? There are other days when I'm just doing emails and I'm busy on that thing, and I'm like, wow, it's draining fast. So if you're using your devices more, obviously they're going to drain faster, right? And so that goes for you. Some of you, you're just in a very busy season of life right now. You're just, life is happening. And you're like, I, I can't, I'm just, I'm draining as fast as I can recharge. Recharging, I got to make time for that. And I'm still draining because there's so much going on. And that's fine. That, that's, that's life sometimes. We're in a season like that in our family right now. We have uh, a lot going on. I've started, uh, besides all the pastoring I've done, all the years of coaching has turned into a coaching business opportunity that's kind of becoming more, you know, center and in, in, in consuming in hours of my life, a lot of hours of my life, which is it's a good thing. It's, it's good for me. It's good for the church, but it's just a lot extra right now at a, at a season of integration. Um, we got two weddings in the family. One of them is less than like three, week, like three weeks away right now, I think, or four weeks away. It's three weeks away. It's, cra- it's soon. So Michelle's feeling the bigger load of that than I am, but we're both feeling the load of that. 
And uh, there's a lot going on. So I know that sometimes you just have a lot happening in your life and you're just feeling like, I'm running, the phone's running all the time, the computer's running all the time, and I can barely keep recharged because I'm just draining by working so much. I will say that if your life feels extra chaotic and really busy right now, understand that that won't always be the case, whether it's just a season that will pass or whether it's years that will one day pass. I realize the day will come in my life when I'll feel like I'm a phone that's obsolete, that no one's going to drain my battery because I'll be put in the drawer because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm outdated or something. I realize that the time might come when that might be a, a different burden I have to struggle through. So I'm not going to complain about the fact that life is chaotic right now because I might miss it one day. But sometimes it's busy and it can be draining while I'm trying to keep recharging. And that may be the case for you. But that's not what I want to mainly focus on today. Perhaps, because if you are overloaded and run, constantly running, you will be drained. But perhaps something else is at play in all of this in your life. So I want to go back to that, com- that phone or that computer. Sometimes what's going on in your devices is that while you're, what's draining them so quickly is there are background apps that are running in the background, background processes that are running in the background, and you're not even seeing them. They're just running in the background, and they're kind of running your computer down. You're not using them intentionally. They're just there, and they're running, and they're draining. Maybe it's a push notification thing that's always searching and just draining you when you're not even using it, or perhaps it's just whatever. So I'm kind of an Apple guy. I really like Apple products. So I used to have um, uh, a Windows computer before I got right with God and got a Mac. But back in the day when I had Windows computers, they were always kind of running. Don't get mad at me, at Windows people. I'm just teasing. But they, my, my, uh, my, uh, it was always something running. I would hit Control-Alt-Delete to see what was going on, like all these processes are running. I got to close some of these things out because they're just draining my computer. And then I got a Mac and I find it, even with a Mac, not as bad. Sometimes there's things going on that you don't mean for them to be going on and you can, you can make sure that you're running the right processes. Your phone, you ever open your phone um, and you, you keep opening apps and you never close them out? I noticed that with, uh, with my, again, I, I know iPhones because Apple, because, you know, God and America and I don't know. But anyhow, so on my iPhone, I noticed that when I open apps, if you don't close them out, they'll, you can open your, your app and kind of pull it up and you'll see all the apps that are currently open. Like 38 apps are open. I haven't even used some of these apps in like two years. I, I forgot I had that game on here that's still open up on my phone. You can, in an iPhone, you swipe up to close it out, to close out the application. And if, and if everything's open, it's just all kind of running there at, at one time, right? But sometimes in your computer especially, you'll have things going on in the background that you don't even know are happening. Or maybe you know, but you don't see them. And if a lot of background apps are running, it could be draining your battery. And you can say, man, I'm going to recharge. I'm going to plug in. But if you've got some background apps running that, that maybe shouldn't be there, you're fighting against the drain. So what I want to say today is we got to find those things in our lives. Some of us have things in our lives that are just constantly running in the background. They're constantly running. And we sometimes are aware of them, sometimes we're not aware of them, but they're always running. And if we got to figure out how to close those things out, there's a process with every device, and there's a process with you to close out those things running in the background so they don't keep draining you unnecessarily. And I talk about the unhealthy things that just kind of get in your head and running constantly and affect your emotions and affect your life. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. Because I want to identify some things, some processes that can cause quick fatigue for you and ultimately cause burnout if you don't address them and you're trying to be productive in life, you're trying to do the right things, but besides what you're doing, this other stuff is just always there. It's always there. It's always running you down. So closing down an app, there's a process to it. Like for an iPhone, it's swiping up for a, you know, for 
a computer at something else. You can close, that is a process for closing down what's running in the background. But here's what I've learned. Sometimes you have to do it repeatedly. Sometimes I get on my phone and I'll shut down all the extra apps that are running, and then I'll get on there a few days later and realize that without even almost out of habit or I don't remember doing it, but I open more of them back up and they're still running. Or on your computer, sometimes you close down some apps, some things that shouldn't be running in the background and you close them down and you, you close your computer and it goes into hibernate. And when you open it back up, it starts running again. You're like, I gotta go back in there and do this again because I, when I hibernated, it's running again. And some of you, that's what's happening in your life. You try to close down these things that are running in your background, but then you go to bed and hibernate and when you wake up the next day, it's back again. It just restarts. So you might have to kind of close it down over and over again. You might have to readdress this thing over and over until you figure out what it is and constantly take care of the problem until it's no longer a mystery of what it's doing to you. So I want to discuss for today several background drainers that could be running in your life. This is not a thorough list. This is not. Because I, I can't tell you, I don't have time to run a thorough list. But um, this, is, this is a list. And maybe one of these things is going to hit home with you, but even if it doesn't, I want you just to be thinking in terms of what could be running in the background that's unhealthily draining me, and I could barely even keep charged when I do recharge because I need to deal with this process and close it out. So we're going to give you several that are common because as a pastor, you deal with certain ones a lot with people. And if one of these applies to you or more, identify one today. Just pick one and start there and focus on it. And maybe um, if, if I don't name one, but God tells you one that you're aware of in your life, focus on that one. Here's start, let me start today with a familiar one for us all. And that is um, something we've talked about the last few weeks. Anxiety, fear, and worry. Now we discussed this in week two of this series a little bit. And so I'm kind of re-throwing back, but it's kind of a good way to start today. Anxiety, fear, and worry. These are different words but they're kind of similar. I use all three because some of us, we don't like certain of those words. Like, well, I don't have fear. I'm just worried. I'm not, I don't worry. I just have anxiety. We want to, you know, we, we have the word soup thing going on. But really, they're different words, but they're kind of all cousins, aren't they? Maybe even siblings. I don't even know if they're cousins. They're just all, they're all in the same family of words. They're all things that kind of play, play on you. Anxiety, fear, and worry. And they each have nuance, but they exist together. Because what happens is we're fearful. What's going to happen tomorrow? How, you know, we talked about we talked about some tragedies earlier as we started the service, and it could be that. And that could, by the way, that could be guilt, uh, grief running in the background of your life or, or fear. But, but but there's things that that bad stuff happens, and you're afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. Or perhaps you're trying to control your life, and you're like, how can I make it work out? How can I make this relationship turn out the way I want it to? How can I do better with with this person? How can I make my my finances happen the way I want them to. How can I control my universe and my life better? And that's hard to do sometimes. Anxiety and worry and fear can just set in because we want to control it. And we already talked about this, so I won't spend much more time, but the word we gave you a few weeks ago, without setting it up this way, we talked about faith. Faith is ultimately the answer. Remember when, when, when Jesus was saying, that you're worried about what you're going to eat or drink or wear or clothing and life and tomorrow. And he said, I got this. Have some faith. I'm going to take care of you. It's a faith issue. There's lots of times in the stories of Jesus where he told his disciples that he said, why are you so fearful? Where is your faith? 
Oftentimes, fear is the thing that's running and faith is the counter because or anxiety or worry in, in, in Matthew 6 where I gotta control this thing and I don't know how it's gonna turn out and what can I do and I gotta keep my hands on it. I wanna give you a Bible verse today. I wanna give you Bible verses throughout the morning here as we talk about different background drainers. When it comes to anxiety, worry, and fear, I wanna talk about uh, a verse in, in, in uh, Proverbs. Psalms, I'm sorry, chapter 37, verse five. Psalms 37, verse five. And the verse, I love this verse, commit everything you do to the Lord. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Now, I like that word commit. Makes you think about being committed. Not like committed, but being committed like to a, to a special home. You ever felt like when someone gets committed that way, you know what that looks like, right? They like, they, you can no longer be trusted to, to make your own decisions and do your own thing. We're gonna put you in a straight jacket or in a padded room. And, and, and keep you because you can't control yourself, so we'll do that for you, right? You think about committing something to the Lord, that's what we often do. We're always trying to control everything, and then we get anxiety or fear about what if I drop the ball? What if I can't control it all? What if something falters and we just get, we get flustered and it's overwhelming and it's running in the background? And so I said earlier, sometimes we're just on overload. I felt that pressure this week a few times. We're just, I... Um, you know, tried to do everything for everyone. I um, had a situation this week where someone reached out outside of our church but wanted something from us. And I had so many brands in the fire, so many things I'm doing that I, I just couldn't get back to them. And when I finally did, they were just, they were, had no grace for me. And I was reminded that I couldn't juggle all the balls that I have to juggle. And it was just so much pressure going on and all the things I'm trying to handle. I actually came into this room here as I'm in the church at the time and I just kind of, I kind of fell apart a little bit and just had to just kind of, God, I can't do it all. I just can't. Because, you know, just whew, so much running. And sometimes in those moments, what we have to do is decide, I can only, if God gives me strength today, I can do what I have strength to do. If God gives me the um, you know, the ability to think and operate, I'll do it. But I can't do it all. So I will do what he gives me the power to do, and I'm going to commit the outcomes to him. I, only, I can control my effort, but I can't control outcomes. So I'm going to commit that to him. Everything I do, I'm going to commit to him. And, and I'm going to trust him. That, that word faith, I mentioned faith earlier. For some of you, trust lands better than faith. Because faith seems vague, perhaps, but trust is I'm going to trust you. The, the ultimate definition of faith there's lots of definitions. But one definition of faith is found in Hebrews 11:6, where it kind of indicates that I should say, God, I know you're there and I believe that you care. And just understanding that God is there and he cares is a part of, of faith. It's trusting him, saying, God, you know all that I have to carry. You know all the things I gotta manage. You know every relationship, every job, every responsibility, every goal, every future moment. You're, all, you're there. God, right now, I just, I'm doing my best, but I can't own this, it's going to drive me crazy. I'm going to live in fear, anxiety, and worry. I commit it to you. I'm going to trust you that you got my back, that you got this. That you can help me do it or you can do it without me, but you're going to take care of me. I trust you. Trust is and faith are such the proper process when you're finding yourself being drained by worry and fear and anxiety. Just stop and say, God, I'm going to commit it to you. I'm going to trust you. And let him help you, because he will. Another background uh, drainer that many of us can run around with is this idea, this, this background drain of guilt. 
Guilt is a funny thing. Now, when I say guilt, we think of a couple different things. We think of guilt and we think of, there's true guilt and there's false guilt. We're going to talk about false guilt a little bit. Um, but, but true guilt is what I'm talking about right now. False guilt can mean a few things. One thing false guilt can mean right now is things like someone didn't, um, I couldn't control something, so it's my fault. Or my child didn't do everything I wanted them to do in life, so I must be a failure. You know, false guilt. We, we always like to own things sometimes. We blame someone, including ourselves. There's a lot of false guilt. True guilt begins when I've done something I shouldn't have done. And I know it. Maybe it was private between me and God. Maybe it was public. Maybe it was against somebody else and they don't even know I did it. Or maybe they do, but I've never made it right or confronted them because I don't want it, the uncomfortableness of admitting it or making things right because they might not take it well. Guilt is when I've done something and I'm being secretive about it or I'm being, you know, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not dealing with it. And guilt can just live in your, in your, it can just run nonstop. I've watched people in my lifetime in the ministry, I've watched people spend years and all of a sudden one day they break down and they open up and they confess some things. They confess some things that they were keeping inside to somebody they owed a confession to and they did not do it because they were afraid. But years of torment later, it comes spilling out. Usually, whatever that after effects are later, good or bad, are better than the torment that drove them to finally get it out of their system because they were living with guilt in the background. So I want to give you the secret to deal. If you've got guilt running, constantly draining you because of things that you've done that you've never addressed or made right, the secret word to closing out, the process to closing out guilt is confession. It's confession. Confession is saying, I admit what I've done. If I've done something wrong, of course, I confess to God. Because um, everything ultimately is against God because whenever I do something wrong, it's either wrong before him and I didn't care or it's wrong against myself who he created or it's wrong against other people that he created, other image bearers. And so it's always a confession to God. God, I'm sorry. But if I've wronged somebody else, it's not just enough to be me and God, it's me and them. It's like, hey, I've wronged you. I've, I've mistreated you. I need to confess to you. And sometimes we don't want to do that because we're afraid, well, how will they take it? What, what if they don't know and they'll be upset with me? Or what if they know and if I ever try to talk to them about it, they'll just, they'll just let me have it and they'll, I'll be vulnerable. But I want to tell you something. Confession is the, 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 it's painful or it's scary, but it's the secret to dealing with guilt. It's the first step. In fact, I want to give you a Bible verse as I continue to, to unpack this for a minute here. It's found in Proverbs this time, <laughs> chapter 28, verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn away from them, they will receive mercy. Confess and turn. I want to notice that word and there because confession includes a turning. The assumption is that you're turning from it. So, for example, if I'm punching somebody, pop, I'm sorry, I, 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 want to, I, I punched you. Pop, oh, I'm sorry, I just did it again. Pop, oh, whoops, I want to confess that to you. Obviously, that's not going to mean anything, right? The idea is that you've done something wrong and you're stopping it. But you haven't confessed it yet. Confession is part of the process that we tend to skip. I'll just stop doing it, but have we confessed it yet? When we conceal our sins, there's no prospering, but when we confess them, healing can happen. And it's very hard when, when it's God, we sometimes struggle with it when it's God because we're wondering, will God forgive me? And God's very forgiving. I'll say more about that momentarily. But when it comes to other people, we're terrified because either they don't know and I don't want to tell them or they know, but they, you, just because they know what you did doesn't mean that they know that you know it was wrong. 
They might think that you don't know what was wrong because you haven't seemed to be bothered by it. You've never owned up to it. Or they might not think that you care. They don't know that you care. And so when you go to someone and say, hey, listen, I need to clear the air. I need to make things right with you. I, we both, whether you know it or we both know it, I did something and I need to put it out there. You say, well, what if, what, what, that's, that's the vulnerable. I know it's vulnerable. What if there's consequences? Well, there may be. What if they won't forgive me? By the way, the words I'm sorry, the words I'm sorry are difficult, but I'm gonna tell you what's a whole lot even harder to say. We should all learn to say it, especially men. Guys, come on now. We should all learn to say it though, all of us, is will you forgive me? Will you forgive me is harder than I'm sorry because you literally put yourself at someone else's mercy because you ask them a question and they can say no. Ooh, we don't like that part, do we? But here's the thing. What if they don't forgive me? What if they're upset with me? What if they say something mean back to me when I confess? Here's the thing. At that point, the ball is in their court. Now, they got to go through the processes of how they deal with you trying to make things right. And that's the conversation we're going to get to in a moment here. That's the, the ball's, but until you confess it, you're the one running the background app. You're the one carrying that thing. Until you confess it, get that thing dealt with. And the only thing we can do is confess. And I'm telling you, most of the time, it goes better than we fear it will go. But even if it's a serious enough of an issue where it needs to have some consequences that we dread or it doesn't go as well as we hope it would go, that stuff can be worked through and processed next, but nothing can begin until confession is had and we cannot prosper while we conceal things. We're just gonna keep draining ourselves, living in secret. So confess. And, and by the way, God, we would always find mercy, we always find mercy with God. Now, now what, what happens when you say, well, Arlen, I've done that. I've confessed what I've done wrong to God. I've confessed it to other people. I've tried to make it right with other people. And eat, but maybe they haven't forgiven me, and so I still feel bad about it. Or maybe they did, but I still feel bad about it. Part of the problem when we've done something wrong, we have guilt, is we don't forgive ourselves. And I don't think that forgiving ourselves begins until we make things right, but then we have to work on forgiving ourselves. Because sometimes it's not a true guilt. True guilt is dealt with by confessing rather than concealing. And then facing the music, whatever that is, accepting that with humility. I don't, I'm not confessing to somebody and saying, you have to forgive me. That's not anything. That's saying, I was wrong. It's up to you what you do with that. I'm wrong. I'm upset. I understand. Humbly confessing is, is the step. But then I got to deal with me. And sometimes we move from true guilt to false guilt. False guilt is carrying around things that either they, they really don't belong to us or things that have already been dealt with. There's a, there's a spot where guilt turns into a guilt trip. And so when you've confessed to God, he's forgiven you. And so you say, well, Arlen, I just don't think God's forgiven me. I just don't, I don't, how can he forgive what I did? Well, probably this, the problem is that you're not forgiving you. You're not forgiving you. Because God does. If you want to know how much God forgives you, listen to what Debbie said earlier. He went to the cross. I mean, if the cross wasn't an obvious statement about how much God is willing to bear your wrongs, all of them in all their ugly form, he really does forgive at a very great personal expense. So, so go to him and confess that, and it'll be okay. Don't let guilt eat you there. With other people, you can't keep going back to them and, and saying over and over again, but you can, can get it in the open, and then just, when, it, when you've already confessed what you were concealing, 
and it pops back up. The, the guilt pops back up after you've confessed it. That's a false guilt. Now it's moving into a guilt trip territory. Now that you've made it right or done the steps or begun the steps to make it right, now when that guilt pops up, you've got to say, wait a minute, it's running in the background. Let me pull it to the front of my screen and say, I have dealt with this. This is not productive. Guilt can be such a useless emotion. It's not productive. You can't move forward with it. At some point, you just got to say, I've already dealt with it. I'm closing it out. I've already dealt with it. It's time to close it out and just face it once it pops back up. Don't let it run in the background. Say, well, well, what if, you know, they're still upset with me or what if I'm upset with them for not forgiving me, right? Which brings us to our next background app that terrorizes us and runs in the background, anger. Boy, isn't it how some of us, we're just angry all the time? Just a low threshold of just anger. And you know it's there because everything just sets you off. And when this task doesn't go right, you overreact in frustration. And when people set you just the wrong way, you over-respond to them. You're just this low-key anger. You're like, why am I angry all the time? And some of us would say, well, I'm not angry. That's, that's a strong word. So let me give you another word to go along with it. Bitterness. I'm just jaded by things that have happened to me and I'm bitter or angry or bitter at what's happened in my life, what someone else did to me or what I did to them and they wouldn't get over it or what God did or didn't do for me or just life in general and I'm just upset or I'm at least just jaded and bitter and just have a, and that's a no way to live. And if you're living with that kind of stuff, just living in your head and in your mind, it's just constantly draining you know this is true. I know this is true. Whenever I've let bitterness get a root in my heart, it just, it just lives there. It just drains me, doesn't it? It just, it just sucks the, the energy out of me and you. So anger will do. That's what bitterness will do. So you say, well, how do you deal with that in, this, in the, the, the process to close down that background drain is simple as forgiveness. And I say simple because it's anything but simple. Forgiveness. You say, oh, I hate that word because I've tried it before and it didn't work. And I want to propose to you that if you try to forgive someone and you say it didn't work, it probably means one of two things. On one front, it possibly means it's kind of like the guilt. You already confessed your guilt, but then it comes back and haunts you. you got to just kind of say, hey, I dealt with that already. Put it behind you. Forgiveness is the same way. You forgive somebody and then a year later, they pop back in your mind and you're frustrated again. And you have to re-deal with it. It could just be a resurfacing of a bad app. Just pull it back up and say... I already dealt with this. I've forgiven it and, and take a moment and pray it through and do it again. But so that's sometimes what's happening there is the, the apps keep reopening. And you just got to say either deal with them or say I've already dealt with them and closed them out. But the other side of it is sometimes the problem with this is that we don't really truly forgive. This is, this is I'm gonna, just going to needle us a little bit here because we don't truly forgive. Because forgiveness we, we want to twist what it means. We want a version of forgiveness that basically doesn't let them off the hook at all. I can still make them pay, but I don't feel bad about it. I mean, look, you'll find memes on social media. You'll find friends who will say you're right to be bitter and you're right to not forgive. You'll find everyone in the brother to tell you you shouldn't have to do this or that. And, and, or try to work a new definition of forgiveness that basically only makes you feel better and doesn't really forgive. We all want that, and our culture is ripe with ways to try to do that. It just doesn't work. That's why it's always haunting the back of your mind. Because true forgiveness is hard. 
want to show you some Bible verses before I finish talking about this point. Uh, it's found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Um, Paul said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. We've, we've, we've studied that verse before, each word. We're not going to do that today. Notice the first three words, get rid of. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of the anger. So Arlen, I'd like to close it out. I'd like to just get rid of it. I don't want it to occupy my mind. It's still there. How do I do that? And he explains in the next verse, which we saw last week if you were here, because all of these things interconnect, don't they? Instead, he says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I'm going to pause there and say this. I can choose to be kind to people whether I'm feeling good or not, whether I'm having a good day or a bad time, and I can choose to be kind to people whether they're being kind or not, whether they're, being, they're having a good day or not. I can keep a tender heart, and when other people fail me or let me down or hurt me, I can forgive. And forgiveness is hard, and especially when we try and cheapen what it looks like. Like, can I find a way to forgive them? They come short of actually doing anything that would benefit them in any way at all in this process but make me feel better. And that's what forgiveness is. I know people, I've, seen that, I've seen them. Sometimes they're beautifully written. They want to, you want to post them on your wall like, oh, this is such a great statement. I thought I can feel better about not being forgiving and call it forgiveness. So I want to kind of give you some qualifications to how, how big forgiveness looks, is. And it's in the last half of that verse. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It's not just saying forgive because you were forgiven. It's telling you how it happens as God did it. How did God forgive? <laughs> well, let's see. He stepped into the sins that we've all committed, the wrongs that we've all done, and God said, I don't want you to have to pay for them forever. So I will pay for them for you. Why? Why would anybody ever pay for someone else? I mean, I want, why, would I, why would he do that? I wouldn't do that. i pay enough if someone hurts me. I don't wanna, they should pay. They should pay. Why would God say, I'll pay for you? God said, because here's the thing. I care about our relationship, and I want you back more than I want you to pay. So I will do the pain. It's restoring. It's powerful. You're like, Arlen, I just can't. And I understand. Forgiveness, depending on the kind of thing that was done to you, some, some things are more egregious than others. I get that. And, and if I heard your story, you heard mine, we'd probably all agree with each other. Yeah, that's unforgivable, right? But here's what I want you to under, understand, that, that God went to the cross through Christ for all the bad sins too. And we believe that, we want to believe that's true for our sake when we need forgiveness. But we just don't, we, we really have a dual definition of forgiveness. I've been in church a long time. We can sing about forgiveness. We can sing about grace and all that we hope it means for us, but we sure don't mean it from us. It's very easy to separate those categories. Forgiveness means this for me. It does not mean that for you, for, from me. For grace means this for me. It certainly does not mean, you know what I'm saying? We, we, we have a dichotomy there, but it's so important that we understand that what God did for us was hard. And maybe you think I could never forgive the way that God forgave me. But I want to challenge and push us towards at least getting closer to a version of forgiveness that doesn't look like some way to find a, a cute way of saying that I'm going to wish the worst on you forever and not feel bad about it. Call it forgiveness by playing word soup. 
but move a little closer to the kind of forgiveness that God demonstrated for us that is pretty next level. And, and maybe the starting point is to realize, when can you pray for someone instead of against them? Pray for them to have a good day. Pray that even in the middle of whatever mess they've made for themselves and what they've done or any consequences that they're facing, that they can experience grace and mercy, that they can have good in their life still. They can be happy when you hear something good for them instead of being mad that they have anything good because they deserve, deserve to burn forever. You know, our heart gets revealed real fast when we can't find any space for anybody else who's hurt us, but we want to find peace within. Forgiveness is difficult. But if you don't do it, anger and bitterness will run in the background all the time. And listen, this is my whole sermon. This is my whole sermon series. I want you to be recharged, but you'll always be drained when you can't get past what people have done to you. And that is a bad way to live. And it's no, For your sake, find what forgiveness that we don't want to give really looks like and offer it. And, and relieve yourself. And when it comes back up, and when a year later you're like, man, I thought I was over that, and then it happened, something re- triggered me, and I'm remembering, I'm mad again. Stop and say, oop, I got anger in the background, I got, I got bitterness. Pull back and say, God, I thought I had dealt with this, but it's back. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna address it again. I give this to you, I've forgiven, I've done the best I can do, help me today, and put, like guilt, put it away. Shut it down and move forward. And one way to do that is just to, is to stop and say, God, I don't know how to forgive people for the things that they've done to hurt or bother me, but I don't know how you forgive any of us, including me, and yet I'm glad you do. Thank you that you are better at this than I am and that all of us and I am a beneficiary of that from you. And I just want to say you're incredible because that's hard. Help me to do better at it and just find your peace with what God has done for you, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Got to move on. We got to wrap up this thing in just a minute here because I have to close with some songs and prayer. So let me just give you one or two short ones. Those were the heavy ones. Another background drainer that runs in our life is greed. So, oh, that's no problem for me. I'm not greedy. Let me define it before you uh, excuse yourself and I excuse myself. Greed is ultimately living a life that says, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? You know, how do I get ahead? Whether it's money, how can, I, how can I monetize this thing? How can I monetize it? How can I get ahead? Or maybe it's, it's a position. How can, I, how can I play people so they can be the maximum benefit for me? How can that relationship make, boost me? How can I make better connections? What's in it for me with my relationships, with my money, with, my, with what I do? How can I get ahead? I can accumulate more position, power, money, wealth, and then I can hold it. It's for me. Greed, ultimately, we've given you this before, but this is a great definition. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. That everything that comes my way in life is benefit me, and then it's for me when it comes to me, and it's, it's what I'm after. How can I get more? But greed is a, is a big word. I remember being, you know, it's not just money. It's a lot of it's money. It's like, how can I get more? How can I monetize it, or I'm not going to do it? How can I get ahead, or else I'm not going to? How can I keep it? But it's also influence. How can, how can someone help me? When I finished Bible college, I got around some people in church work, Stanley, who I realized, you know, I thought were, could be peers who didn't really care about relationship unless you could, they could leverage you because you had a platform that could give them a bigger platform. And if you couldn't do something for them to boost them, they didn't care because it was all about kind of getting ahead. And once I got ahead, I got to protect it with my money, with my opportunities. It's me. It's greed. How do you fight greed when it pops up in your life? And the simple word, before, before I give it to you, I'll say this about it. 
if you don't know if greed applies to you, ask yourself how you react to this word. If the word makes you gristle, bristle and groan, it's like we're on the right track. Generosity. Oh, yep, there it is. Generosity. That when I'm generous, generosity fights against the propensity of my life to be greedy. When I sit there and say, I got, how can I monetize this? How can I get ahead? How can I hold on to it all? When you see that just constantly being your mindset, it just is a draining way to live. Just say, I gotta do something intentional to pull this app up and close it down. I know what to do. Intentionally be generous to the point that I feel it. I'm gonna give something away to someone. I'm gonna help someone else. Because I need to remember, it's not all for my consumption. God gave things to me for a reason and it's to go through me. It's not all for me. It's sometimes it's to go through me to somebody else. If, if you find yourself greedy for who can benefit me, who can get me ahead, or somebody have better connections, how can they benefit me? You, that's, that, that's the hard way to live. Step back and pull up and say, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna spend time with somebody and serve somebody who could do nothing for me, who could do nothing to boost my star at all. I'm gonna serve because I need to learn to be generous with my time and money in ways that it's not all about me. Close that thing down or it's gonna drain you. One more and we'll be done for the day. And that is, last of all, jealousy. Oh, there's a verse. A verse. Don't, go, don't go ahead. I'm sorry. I forgot even my Bible verse. Eric's like, Arlen, you're blowing it. There's a verse for that. Let me give you the verse real quick. Luke 12, 15 says, uh, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Every kind of greed, whatever it is. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own or what you do or the titles you possess or the number of people you, who follow you on social media. None of that matters. Life is measured by something much bigger. Don't let greed take hold of you. Last one is this, jealousy. What is jealousy? Jealousy is that part of us, envy is another word, that is like upset when other people get opportunities that we don't get. Oh, you got the promotion. I wanted the promotion. It could be your neighbors. It could be our family members. It could be our friends. It could be relatives. It could be coworkers. Your neighbor, they have a nice car. I wanted a newer car. They have a nice relationship. I don't even have, I don't even have a, a, a significant other. Or I don't have a good one. I have a bad, I have a bad relationship. Or they have, their kids are doing well. I wish my kids were doing well. And, or they, they, they got a raise. I wish I had a raise. And jealousy creeps in and we get upset. And when you live a life of being jealous that people that you know are doing better or have been handed more or got better lucky breaks or got further ahead, you liked them until they got that opportunity. You loved that neighbor of yours until they won the lottery. Then you're like, I hate them. Who do they think they are? Jerks, you know. Um, or whatever, you know, they probably didn't win the lottery. Most people lose all the money trying to do that. But you know what I'm saying. I'm saying whatever you look at someone else and you're jealous of their getting ahead and it bothers you and it creates a rift in your heart, that's a draining way to live. And the simple answer is not necessarily comfortable, but it helps you close that background drain down. It's called celebration. It's celebrating what's going on in their life. Now, I'm going to talk about what celebration means, but I want to give you a Bible verse first. So here's the verse. It's Romans 12, verse 15. It says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. I've been around a long time. I've learned it's easier to weep with those who weep than it is to be happy with those who are happy. When people are weeping, you're like, oh, I can, be, I can hurt too. Partly because I don't want it to happen to me. I'm so sad. But be happy with those who are happy. It's like, oh, how good for you. <laughs> oh, you did, you did. It was great. I'm so glad to hear that, you know. Oh, I'm happy. But here's what happens when we're, when, we're, when we're jealous. We get competitive. 
And they're like, they're gloating because they know their stuff is nicer than my stuff. Or they got my position or they got, you know, whatever it may be. Or they're doing better. Or my sibling thinks they're ahead further in life than me. Ugh, they're, they're gloating. We've made it competitive by being jealous. So how do you stop that celebration? You know what you do? You walk right, here's what you do. You go to that person at work that got the promotion that you wanted and you wonder if they're gloating, but you're definitely sulking for sure. You go up to them and you're like, man, congratulations, that's awesome. That's so, I'm so happy for you. Tell me, are you excited? Let's hear about it. If, if they weren't competing with you, they're gonna, they're gonna be okay. Because before that, you're just walking around avoiding them in the hallway or scowling at them and they're like, okay. So you just celebrate with them. They're like, huh. There's no competition. And if they thought there was, then you just, de- you just defuse the situation completely. But more importantly, in your own heart, you just learn to say, I'm happy for you. I'm not being fake. I'm like, man, I'm happy. Tell me about it. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. Here's a note. Here's a whatever. I'm excited for you. You got a great relationship? Man, I wish I did. But man, I'm so happy for you. I, I want the best for you. I want the best for all of us. I'm glad that you got that. You did what? Man, that's great. Your child did what? Wow. That's phenomenal. Just be happy. When you learn to celebrate with those who are celebrating, as well as we weep with those who weep, you'll find that it will not only help take that energy, that that stupid competition that we let surface in our relationships, it will defuse that torture of jealousy that should just learn to say, I'm happy for you. I want us all to win. It's not me versus you. It's not a zero-sum game. I want us all to win. And if you're winning right now, I'm glad. So I've given you several things today. I said if you're struggling with anxiety, fear, or worry, you pull that in the background, you shut it down with faith and trust. If you're dealing with guilt, you address guilt through confession. If you're struggling with anger or bitterness, you address it through forgiveness. If you're struggling with greed, you deal with that process through generosity. And if you're struggling with jealousy, you address it and take care of it through celebration. Here's the thing. There are other topics. I was not trying to be all-inclusive today. We can go on and on. I try to pick some common ones that my years of pastoring have taught me are common background drainers for us. So probably these were common for you as well. If God spoke to your heart about one of these, let him have his way and work in your life to get better and, and remove that drain so you can fully recharge and be optimal. But here's the deal. If I didn't mention what you're struggling with, ask God to show you what it is. Bring it to the front of your mind and say, Lord, help me to close out the process that is draining me. But don't misdiagnose. Listen, don't close out important functions of your being because you're overwhelmed and drained. Some people say, I'm overwhelmed, I gotta close things down, and they close out important things they do, important parts of their life, important things they're involved in. Don't close out the wrong things because you're overwhelmed or drained. Find the unhealthy things that are running in the background and address the right stuff. Find what's taking a toll on you in an unhealthy way. Pull it front and deal with it. Pray about it. And by the way, get outside help if necessary. If your computer, sometimes you can't figure out what's draining it, you may have to go, what do they call that place? The, 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 the Geek Squad? Is that the, the name of the, the Geek Squad, right? Or somebody, I need some help. I, um, I can't figure out what to do here. If you need outside help, we all need outside help at times. If you got something running in the background and you can't flush it out yourself and it's just draining you, don't get rid of the good things in your life. Don't cut the right things out of your processes. But go get some help with that. Sit down with a coach, a counselor, somebody, and say, let's figure this thing out and follow back up. Because you can, 
and we all need that at times. But deal with the right problem. So as we wrap this, this up, recharge. Getting back to full when life feels you dra- leaves you feeling drained. You gotta recharge, you gotta plug back in. But also, it's not just about plugging in. It's also understanding that it does not matter how big your battery is, how full your battery is, or how recently you charged your battery. It won't last long if you don't address what it is that's draining you in the background. So today I want to ask you to figure those things out and say, God, help me close those apps out so that I can recharge and run as you made me to do. Next week, we're done. We're done, basically. We're going to share one of my favorite Bible stories, which might surprise you. You'd be like, really, that one? But it's awesome. And it kind of overshadows the entire series so far, and it's going to make sense when we get to it. I can't wait.